Welcome everybody to Life Group Study, episode 11. Uh, we're studying chapters 9, 10 and 11 of the book of Romans. And we finished chapter 10 in the last episode. And so we're ready to move on to chapter 11. And I thought that it would be a good thing for us today just to take a step back uh, from all the details and in a, just like zoom out a bit in this session and remind ourselves of the bigger picture that Paul is presenting here in chapters 9, 10, and 11. We've been delving into the details of chapter 9 and 10 for quite a number of episodes. And uh, in doing so, it is easy for us to lose sight of Paul's overall train of thought and therefore miss the main point of what he's teaching altogether. As the saying goes, we don't want to lose sight of the, of the forest for the trees. So in this episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the main points that Paul is making in these three chapters, including chapter 11. And my hope is that as I do so, um, it will help to establish a, a solid platform upon which we can then delve into and examine the details of chapter 11 next term uh, when we begin life groups again. So let's get going. And what I'd like to do just to start off today's um, episode is to read from Romans chapter 8 verses 28 to 30. Uh, this is the text that I want to use as a launching pad for the summary of these three chapters. And you may ask, well, why these verses when they're not even a part of these three chapters? I believe that the truths communicated in these three verses in Romans chapter 8 are pivotal to understanding why Paul wrote chapters 9, 10, and 11, and also following his train of thought in them. And so that's why I want to use these three verses in Romans chapter 8 as this launching pad for the summary of what Paul is teaching in chapter 9, 10, and 11. So let's read Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 28 to 30. This is what we read there. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. You remember us teaching on these three verses when we were uh, back in Romans chapter 8 during the course of last year. What do these three verses teach us? I want to just sum it up in two things. Firstly, they teach us the certainty of God's elect being saved. And it's very important that we see that in these three verses. And when you see that, you'll understand why I believe that these three verses and understanding them are pivotal to following Paul's train of thought in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and really grasping the, his train of thought, what he's actually teaching there. So that's the first thing that we see in these verses, is that this, the certainty of God's elect being saved is established in these three verses. Those whom God foreknew are all ultimately glorified. If you just follow the progression of what Paul is saying here, you will see that. Those whom God foreknew are all ultimately glorified. And then the second thing that we see in these three verses is that the, the certainty, the certainty of their salvation is due to the fact that salvation is all the work of God and not that of people and is therefore dependent on Him and not on the people. So we can see that here in, in these three verses. It's God who foreknew these people. It's God who predestined them. It's God who called them. 
and he called them according to his purpose. It's God who justified them. And obviously, he justified them by faith and not by works, which is what Paul has been laboring in chapter 10 to to make sure that we understand and fully uh, grasp that truth. So God is the one who justified them and he justified them by faith and not by works. So once again, we see the exclusion of man's efforts and man's labors in producing justification. It is by faith. So Paul makes that clear not only in chapter 10, but he also makes it clear throughout this letter to the Romans. Then we see that it's God who glorified his elect and it is God who works all things together for the good of those whom he called according to his purpose. So when we look at that, we see everything is the work of God. There's no work of the people mentioned in these verses. It is God who foreknew. It is God who predestined. It is God who calls. It is God who justifies. It is God who glorifies. And it is God who works all things together for the good of those whom he has called. So when we grasp these two truths from these three verses, the fact that salvation is certain for God's elect and that it is certain due to the fact that salvation is the work of God and not that of people. We then can come on to chapter 9, 10 and 11 because it is in the light of these two incredible truths that we see here in, in chapter 8, that, um, which we've just been mentioning, that a question about Israel arises. And, and the question that arises about Israel is this, are not Israel God's chosen people and his elect? Are they not foreknown by God and called by him? And if they are, then why have they not been saved? Um, look at what's happened to them. And you've got to remember the context at that particular time, which is pretty much the same as what we see today. The context of that particular time was that the nation of Israel had rejected Christ, that they had rejected the gospel. And so we saw that in chapter 10 uh, very clearly. So what we see is we see a situation where Israel, who is God's chosen nation, is reject, has rejected God in rejecting his son. They are not justified because they have not believed the gospel, but have trusted in their own works and righteousness. And instead of the Jews who are God's chosen nation being the ones that are being saved, it is the Gentiles who are not God's chosen people who are receiving Christ and trusting in him and being saved. So that's the scenario at that particular time, just as it is pretty much still the same today. And so this brings a, a great objection up to Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 to 30, which we've just read. And it is this objection to what Paul has taught in Romans 8, 28 to 30, that Paul is seeking to address in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And this objection is, is, is simply this. Why are the Jews, God's chosen people, outside of Christ and not being saved when the Gentiles who are not God's chosen people are streaming in and being saved. Does this not tell us that God's purpose for Israel, his plan A, has failed because of their stubbornness, rebellion, and unbelief? And so now he's been forced to switch to plan B, which is to bring the Gentiles in. And so many times when people consider what's happened to the Jews, and they consider uh, the, you know, the fact that Gentiles have come in, they are often very tempted or moved or um, led to this kind of a conclusion. 
that God's plan A, which was Israel, failed because of their stubbornness, rebellion, and unbelief. And so now he's been forced to switch to plan B, which is the Gentiles. So this is really the, the thought, the thinking, the, the understanding, the interpretation of that particular situation concerning Israel and the gospel that Paul is um, addressing in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And so how does Paul answer this objection? Remember, he said that everyone that God foreknew is ultimately going to be glorified. And so people look at Israel and they say, well, is Israel not God's elect? And yet look at what's happening to them. And so that leads them to question what Paul taught in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through to verse 30. How can it be true that everyone that God foreknew is going to be ultimately glorified and saved if we, what we see in Israel does not, uh, is not reconcilable or does not seem to be reconcilable with that particular um, argument? And so this is what Paul is addressing. First of all, what do we see as he answers this objection? Well, first we see he does not deny the reality on the ground. He does not deny that the Jews had rejected the gospel and that Gentiles had received it. Rather, as we've seen as we've gone through chapter 9 and 10, he expresses his great grief over it. But he does not stop there. He quotes numerous passages of Scripture, which we've looked at, to show that this was always God's plan from the beginning. In other words, he's showing that what is taking place with Israel, what is taking place with the Gentiles with regards to the gospel, to, with regards to Christ and salvation, is not something that uh, was it's just new or been forced upon God. He foretold it through the prophets. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that it's happening. That's what Paul is teaching. And then he goes on and he explains why this has happened and why it does not negate what he taught in Romans 8, verse 28 to 30. He says in chapter 9, verse 6, the second part of chapter 9 and verse 6, he says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. He explains that this is why so many of them have not believed and not been saved. It's because although they are part of the nation of Israel, they're not a part of the spiritual Israel. They're not amongst those whom God foreknew and predestined, even though they are Israelites. They are not God's elect, even though they are, according to the flesh, part of God's chosen nation. And he proves this through Scripture. Then he goes on to show that there are Gentiles who, although they are not a part of God's chosen nation, Israel, are a part of God's elect. And that is why they are believing the gospel and being saved. And once again, he proves this out of Scripture. And so he quotes from the Old Testament. And uh, we've looked at those quotations. They're there in both chapter 9 and in chapter 10. And he argues that the Jews who were never God's elect were not saved because they did not obey and believe the word of Christ. While Gentiles were saved because they had believed the word as they were God's elect. So that's what he's been teaching in chapter 9 and 10. Then he comes to chapter 11 and he takes things even further. And these are the things that we will see in more detail as we study this chapter next term. In chapter 11, he makes it clear that even though most of Israel has not believed and is not saved, God has not rejected all of Israel. There is a portion of Israel who have believed and been saved. And we will see this in chapter 11 as we start to go through it. In verse 2, he says that they are the ones God foreknew. This portion of Israel are the ones God foreknew. 
And so they are the ones that he was talking about back in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. In other words, what he's saying is that back in chapter 8, verse 29, he was not talking about everyone that was a part of the nation of Israel, because not everyone that was a part of the nation of Israel was foreknown by God, or we could say this was part of God's elect, but there was a portion of Israel that was. And he calls them in chapter 11, verse 7, the elect. And in verse 5 of the same chapter, he calls them the remnant. And he says that they were chosen, or we could say elected, by grace, not works. In other words, this remnant, this elect that came out of Israel that is being saved, was chosen by God for salvation, not based on anything that they've done, whether good or bad, but on God's unmerited favor. They were chosen by grace and not works. And he cites himself, Paul cites himself as being one of this remnant, one of this portion of Israel that God did foreknow from the very beginning. One of the members of this remnant in Israel that God uh, foreknew and predestined and called and justified and glorified, as we saw in chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. Then in verse 7 of chapter 11, Paul tells us that while the elect portion of Israel, the remnant, those whom God foreknew, have believed and have been saved, just like Paul himself had been, the rest of the nation had been hardened. And you'll see this in chapter 11, verse 7. And he explains how they have been hardened by quoting scripture in verses 8, 9, and 10 of that chapter. And this is what he says. He said, God gave them a spirit of stupor so their eyes would not see and their ears would not hear. And then he says, and their table has become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. So when he talks about their table, he's talking about essentially about all the works of the law and um, all the sacrifices and all the things that the law required had actually become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to this portion of Israel that had been hardened. They were hardened because God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. And so they couldn't understand. They couldn't respond to the gospel. So having painted this vivid picture of what has happened and why things are the way uh, with Israel as a people in terms of their relationship to God, he stops in verse 11, chapter 11, and he asks a question. Have they stumbled? Has Israel as a nation stumbled so that they might fall? In other words, what he's asking is, are they beyond retrieval or recovery? Has the nation of Israel passed the point of no return? Has God discarded them and cast them away completely? And he answers this question in chapter 11. And his answer is an emphatic no. This is not the end of the road for Israel as a nation. God has not rejected them totally, as there is a remnant right now that is being saved. And he has not rejected them forever. There has only been a partial and a temporary rejection of Israel. This is what Paul teaches in chapter 11. And he tells us why this partial and temporary rejection and hardening of Israel as a nation has taken place. He tells us it is so God's elect among the Gentiles might be brought in and be saved. So he makes it clear that while many Jews will be lost forever, since they were never a part of God's elect, there is going to come a time when the Lord will turn Israel as a nation, as a whole, 
from their ungodliness and save them. And we will see this as we, we, we study chapter 11 in detail. God will once again revisit Israel as a nation. And Paul, as he always has done throughout chapter 9, 10 and 11, quotes scripture to prove that this will happen. And he tells us that it will only happen once the full number of God's elect Gentiles have come in. Okay, so these are things that we're going to be discussing in detail as we delve into this chapter next term. But what I wanted to do is just give you this overview, this sort of zoomed out uh, uh, look on chapter 9, 10 and 11 in the context of chapter 8 verses 28 to 30. And to really see what Paul is addressing in these chapters, he's addressing the matter of Israel. He's addressing the matter of the fact that Israel rejected Christ as uh, in, in, in essence, as a nation, although there was this remnant that did believe and have been saved. But then he takes it further and shows that God is going to ultimately turn Israel as a nation back to him again. Now, you might be asking yourself what the relevance of all this is to you. Why did Paul think it was so important for the church to know and understand all this? So important that he devoted three chapters, one-fifth almost, of this most important epistle to explaining this matter. Let me give you five reasons why he thought this way. And these reasons come out of these three chapters. Number one, he didn't want the Gentiles who are being saved to become proud and gloat over the Jews who weren't. Number two. He didn't want the Gentiles to fall into the same trap as the Jews had and think that they are saved because they are better people than the Jews. Number three, he wanted them to realize that it is solely by faith that they are saved and are kept secure in their salvation and not because of who they are or anything that they have done. Number four, he wanted the Gentiles to seek and work for the salvation of the Jews and not to think that God was through with them as a nation, that he had completely discarded them. And number five, he wanted everyone to see just how marvelous the plan and purpose of God is in saving his elect, and how because of his unfathomable wisdom and power, he will bring it to pass perfectly, despite man's wickedness, disobedience, and weakness. Okay, so those are the five things that Paul wanted to teach us as Gentile believers through these chapters on, on top of giving us understanding of the whole plan of God. Now, I think it would be a very beneficial thing uh, to discuss as life groups how the developments that have taken place in the last 75 years concerning Israel as a nation support what Paul taught in these three chapters, bearing in mind that Paul wrote these words nearly 2,000 years ago. So Paul wrote at a time when the nation of Israel was still uh, present in the, the land. Um, and then we know the history where in AD 70, Jerusalem was uh, desolated. And from that point on, the Jews began to be scattered all over the world. And they were scattered into all the nations of the world. And that's how it was until the last century when the nation of Israel was rebirthed. So as you consider this matter, how the developments that have taken place in the last 75 years concerning Israel as a nation support what Paul taught in these three chapters. Just consider these three things. Number one, the miraculous rebirth of the nation of Israel 
as a national entity after 1900 years of being scattered amongst the nations of the earth. Number two, the way that God has preserved the nation, the nation of Israel, that tiny little nation in the Middle East, over the past 75 years since it was reestablished, how he's preserved it from annihilation by the very hostile and far stronger nations that surround them. And number three, consider also the growing number of Jews today who are coming to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. So with those three things in your mind, um, just consider what Paul wrote um, in these three chapters, what we've been discussing, the, the future of Israel, God's dealings with Israel as a nation, and in particular, what I just summarized chapter 11 to teach, that God is not through with the nation of Israel, and that there is going to come a time when He is going to turn Israel as a nation away from their godlessness, and He's going to, to save them. So with those in mind, that's what I think would be great if you would just discuss these things, because in the nation of Israel is a tremendous testimony to the truthfulness of what God has given us in Scripture, to the prof prophecy of Scripture, which Paul is essentially bringing forth in chapter 11. It is a prophetic declaration taken from the Old Testament, taught out from the Old Testament, born up by the Old Testament, that God is not through with Israel. And so I believe that if, as we look at these, um, these matters that have taken place concerning the nation of Israel over the last 75 years, we may begin to see, or we will begin to see, that God is beginning to fulfill these prophecies. So let's discuss that as life groups, and uh, we'll look forward to being back together again uh, for the next episode in the next term. And we will then begin to delve deeper into the words of chapter 11 and look at the nuts and the bolts of this chapter. God bless you, and may you really gain something as you discuss these matters.